Turn your Bibles this morning, if you will. This is the time where we open God's Word. Very important time. You don't need to hear my opinion about anything. You need to hear what God thinks. We all do. And we open God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're in that great chapter, final chapter of this epistle. Peter writing to some believers who are being persecuted, believers who are scattered, giving some instruction. In this last section especially, he is giving some instruction, instruction that, instruction that we all need, instruction that we all need to be reminded of, instruction especially in times of difficulty and persecution, things to remember. He has laid out the importance of leadership during that time in this chapter. He's laid out the importance of, of humility uh, being humble, humble before God, casting all your care on to God because He cares for you. And He continues with that this, this morning as we look in verses 8 through 11. Let me read those words to you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert, verse 8 says. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. As I start to look at this passage this morning, I want to begin with verse 11. Because unless you understand verse 11, you're not going to have much success with the previous verses that lead up to verse 11. Specifically, it says in verse 11, to him be dominion forever and ever. That's a doxology, that's Peter just breaking out in worship, but it's more than just a benediction. It's more than just those words he expresses there because he uses the word dominion. And unless you understand that God is the dominant one, you don't understand your adversary. Unless you understand the truth and of the nature of God and his attribute that he is the all-powerful one, that no one matches him in power. If you do not know God like that, you will be a victim of your adversary. You see, this, these verses talk about Satan, our adversary. But I must know, as I go into this, that God is the one that dominates. That's dominion. He is the dominant one. That is his attribute. Peter has used that before in 1 Peter chapter 4 at the end of verse 11, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. It's very important to, to these readers that they understand that about God. It's important that you understand that about God. He is bigger than our enemies he is more powerful than our enemies. You see, they've got lots of enemies. We have lots of enemies. But the dominant one, the one that dominates, is God. That's why he's sort of saying there in verse 11. It's like, remember, remember, 
All these things I've just said to you about your adversary being a a lion that prowls about. You remember this, that he, God, dominates, not your adversary. If you're going to resist him, which verse 9 tells us to do, if you're going to stand firm, then you've got to understand this about God. There's a lot of bad teaching about the devil. There is. There's a lot of bad teaching about Satan out there. It's important to have your demonology right, your Satanology right. It's important if you're going to have sound theology to understand the truth about the adversary. A lot of the reasons he gets victory in our lives is because we do not understand him. And he likes it that way. He does not want you to understand him. He wants you to have your myths about him. He likes for you to think he doesn't even exist Listen, there's, there's the Halloween costume the portrait of Christ. You've seen that. Came out of the, especially the Middle Ages. Did I, say it's, did I say it's the devil? Did I get that right? Satan. Portraits of Satan is what I meant to say. I hope I said that. Did I? I didn't say. Can't, tear the tape up. <laughs> I apologize. Everybody's watching this live stream. It's not. It's Satan. He's the ugly guy in the red outfit. That's who I'm talking about with the pitchfork. That's the one you see in the pictures. In Lutzer's book on God's devil, he writes this. In medieval times, the devil was pictured as a long-tailed cloven hoof jester with two horns and a red suit, looking the part of a clown. Cartoons picture him that way as well. We're not in medieval times, but people still think that way about him even in the church he's portrayed that way as a fictional character no threat to us he's fiction secondly another bad view about satan is that he is sovereign and this is true in a lot of charismatic churches satan is sovereign john macarthur wrote in an article and you find this on his website i forgot the title of the article but it relates to this topic he says he he writes about um a lady who wrote a letter to him who was from one of those churches. And this is what she wrote. Listen to this. We lived all of our life in this movement, this charismatic movement, and the one common denominator, Satan is sovereign. If you get sick, it was the devil. If your child gets sick, it was the devil. And even if your child dies, Satan somehow got the victory. If your spouse gets cancer, That's the devil that did that. If you have an accident or things do not go the way you want, you have family problems, loss of job or divorce, the devil did all of that. She goes on to say, the devil has to be bound. So you have to learn all of these formulas to bound the devil. If you don't, he's going to control everything in your life. We lived our whole lives thinking that everything that went wrong in the entire universe was because of the devil. The devil is sovereign in everything, and even God, along with us, is struggling to overpower him. 
Then she goes on to say how this affected her. She says, I lived with heart palpitations, panic attacks, anxiety, frightening dreams, waking up in the middle of the night terrified that the devil might be doing something to my child while he was lying in bed. End of quote. See why theology matters? See why theology is important? So instead of God possessing dominion and eternal power, the charismatics would write verse 11 like this, to Satan be dominion forever and ever and ever. You've heard that. I've heard that. People talking like that. The devil has all the power and God's hands are tied unless we figure out how to bind him, which is a problem because somebody always ends up letting him loose and he never stays bound. I don't understand that. I just bound him, and there he goes again. You follow, the, follow this? And, and the fear never ends. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. 1 John 4, 4. And so the Bible says we can say that no matter what Satan might be doing, it's allowed. It's allowed. Because God has a purpose in allowing it. And its purpose has to do with his glory. And his purpose has to do with what would bring benefit to the saints. Grinald in his book says believers need to hold fast to the assurance that God is in completely control and he's watching Satan's every move. And when God says, stay, Satan, like a dog next to your table, just sits there while you eat. And the master's eyes are always on him. And it's not trying to say Satan doesn't have any power because he certainly does. It's just that he's a created creature and he's not greater than the Creator. Martin Luther, I've said this to you before, even the devil is God's devil. And he cannot make you do anything. Uh, so many want to blame all their sins on the devil. He made me do it. He made me commit adultery. He made me steal. He made me commit murder. He made me lie. Listen, I don't need the devil to help me sin. I do fine on my own. So do you. And the third, third fallacy that's out there about the devil is that he just sits idly by and he doesn't have any power at all. There are people that think that and they think that he doesn't even exist. Some people don't even think he exists. And so how are you going to resist him if you think this way? He loves it when we elevate him and he also loves it when we get preoccupied, when we, level, when we elevate him to the level of God. He loves it when we do that. And when we get preoccupied with him, and he also loves it when we deny his existence. Um, found, found this. In his classic parable, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis warned that there are two extreme errors in which our race can fall regarding the devil and his demons. One extreme is to have an unhealthy interest in the devil and demons. 
get preoccupied, like I just said. And the other extreme is to disbelieve in their existence. Lewis wrote that the demonic world actually delighted in either extreme. Satan likes for you to go to either extreme. I I said that earlier. In other words, when it comes to Satan in particular, one camp overestimates his attributes and looks behind every tree for his presence, while the other camp underestimates his abilities and doesn't give him a second thought. Both perspectives are dangerous. End of quote. And so, we need to make sure our perception's right. And we need to make sure it's shaped by the Word of God. So that we can, as this passage in 1 Peter says, we can stand firm and we can resist In Scripture, you're not going to find Satan as some grotesque figure or somebody in a Halloween costume. He, he wants to, he likes to appear as good. He likes to appear as good, not evil. Let me just give you a little demonology here, Satanology. He was, to say this, he was created like all the angels. He led a rebellion in heaven where one third of the angels fell with him. You can read about that in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 14. You have the I am's of Satan. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be worshipped as God. He wanted God's place. In Genesis, he is crafty and subtle and he deceives. The Bible says he exists. He's got personality. He's got the attributes of personality. He's got an intellect. He's got an emotion. And he's got a will. And although he's an angel of darkness, he disguises himself as an angel of light, the Bible says. Other terms that are used in 2 Corinthians, he's called Belial, which means vile and wicked, enemy or evil one. It's another term that's used, the evil one, the enemy. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, he's called the God of this world that blinds the minds of unbelievers. In Ephesians 2, he's called the prince of the power of the air. He's the commander in chief of the demons. And in John 8, he's called the father of lies. He's the originator of lies. Murderer from the beginning, John chapter 8 says. He's deceptive. And Adam and Eve uh, were, bo- both, were led both into spiritual death and physical death because of their sin. He hates God, and he hates God's people. Revelation 12, 10, he's called the accuser. Turn to Job chapter 1. He's called the accuser. Job chapter 1, you're familiar with this passage. I just want you to see this as background to our passage for this morning. We get a look into the heavenly, heavenlies and sort of get a behind-the-scenes look at, of Satan, the accuser here in Job chapter 1. Right before the book of Psalms, you have the book of Job Job is probably one of the best of the Old Testament characters. He was not perfect, but we're told in verse 1 that he was a man blameless, upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. So he was a very honorable man. In Job chapter 1 verse 6, go down to verse 6. Now there was a day... When the sons of God, this is a term for angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So you have angels um, in the presence of the Lord, and Satan was among them. A fallen angel, adversary, 
Satan, and he has a lot of time on his hands, and he's using it productively because God asked him, where do you come from? Verse 7, God asked him that question, and Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. Satan says, I've been roaming the earth. Peter would say, prowling about like a roaring lion, (laughs) seeking someone to devour. He can only be in one place at one time. It's something I want you to notice in this. He can't be everywhere. Satan is not omnipresent. He cannot be in Detroit and Tallahassee at the same time. I can get there quick, but the point is, he's not omnipresent. He's got demons. There are demons. There's a demonic world that he's the commander of. In verse 8 through 12, look what happens. He's looking for someone to devour, and God, God sets up Job, basically. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, verse 8 says, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. So obviously, this is not to punish Job for anything. This is a trial. This is a test. This is, this is something to prove something that's going to bring glory to God. It's going to be a very painful experience, no doubt, but the, the, the hope of, of Satan is that Job will curse God. Job will lose his faith. The Lord, Satan, Satan answered, the Lord says, well, does Job fear God for nothing? Verse 10 have you made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? God has given sovereign protection to Job, he's saying, and that Satan cannot penetrate. Well, without God's permission, God's the only one that can remove that. God's the only one that can put that up, but God's the only one that can remove that. And Satan asked, hey, remove it so that I could tempt Job and see what he will do. You have blessed the work of his hands. His possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. And you know what the next 40-something chapters are all about. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 5. So the devil does exist. 1 Peter chapter 5, the devil does exist. All the writers of Scripture acknowledge that he is a fallen angel. He's not silent. He accuses and tempts God's people. But it's always limited by the plans and purposes of God. Understand that. Understand that. God is the dominant one. God is one that has dominion, not Satan. So I want to show you some practical things here that Peter gives to us on how we can go about uh, standing firm. Because we don't want to be ignorant of his schemes. We want to stand firm and resist the devil. We want to realize that we're dealing with a conquered foe. His head was crushed at the cross. We want to understand how to stand firm and resist him with the power that God gives us. Let's look at the first thing here in uh, first point here in verse 8 
of 1 Peter chapter 5. And I will say simply, it's to be on the alert. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Not the first time Peter has used that. He used that back in 113. It means mental sobriety. It means in verse 13 of 1 Peter 1, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit. Um, Keep so be sober-minded. Um, we're talking about moral decisions here, especially. Uh, you're in charge of your spiritual priorities. You're not intoxicated with the defilements of the world, the, the flesh and the devil. And the point of, of being sober-minded is that you will be on the alert. You won't be intoxicated with things of the world to be morally and spiritually, watching your surroundings, keeping your eyes open, watch your relationships, watch for those potential areas of temptation. You know, when you're on the highway late at night and you're driving, you're getting sort of sleepy, you know how, the temp- you know how that feels? You want to be alert. Uh, you don't want to fall asleep and roll the car over. What do you do? You sometimes just stick your head out the window you pour a bottle of water on your face, I don't know, just whatever you can do, because you want to be alert. You want to be alert. Turn on the loud music. But that's it. We've got to be, it's critical to, if you're going to resist the devil, to be alert. Because he's out there. And he's out there in your high moments, and he's out there in your low moments. He's out there. Alertness recognizes there's danger approaching and I want to be ready for it. And it gets the mind you're talking about here because that's where the battle is. It's, uh, it's in your mind. It's your mind. It's a truth war. This is not about feelings. Peter is not giving instructions here on how to feel anything. He's giving you instructions here on how to think. How to think. Think about who Satan is and his dominion and all of that, but also to think with alertness, to to think right about your enemy and your adversary, but also to think right about moral things, to think right about true things. Satan likes to go after your mind um, because that's the birthplace of your desires, your heart. And if you don't deal with temptations at the point of your mind, you generally just fall right into sin. I mean, you've got to deal with it right when it comes, in your mind. 2 Corinthians 11.3, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds be led, will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Your minds will be led astray. Because we're in a truth war. It's a truth war. It's a battle for your thoughts and your view of Christ and your theology. You might not think those are major things. They're big things. You, your life reflects what you believe to be true. And when you buy into false theology or false teaching, then you're susceptible, as we read earlier in that lady's letter. See, unbelievers, unbelievers are blinded by Satan. They're blinded from the truth of the gospel, which leads them to eternal damnation. As believers, we get tossed to and fro. 
in our minds, in the battle for the truth in our minds, by every wind of doctrine. We do, we we're not grounded. The trickery of men, the craftiness and deceitful scheming of the enemy to make us think things that are not true. And this makes you very ineffective for ministry. It makes you very unfruitful. And it makes you just um, despairing, <laughs> quite frankly. So it's the reason we have to be alert, sober-minded. Turn to Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6. This is familiar to all of you, I'm sure, if you've read the book of Ephesians at the very end. Paul gives a strategy for, I think, as a great strategy for spiritual preparedness. If you think of yourself as a soldier and the illustrations he uses here are from soldier's uniform. But he's told them in his whole letter how they can be mature believers. And he's, now he tells them how they can resist the devil and stand firm. And it, stand firm means to take your stand against the devil. And what you're going to see here is nothing in here is said about binding the devil. Understand something. That is a made-up term. You cannot bind the devil. That's not your, my role only God can do that, and he's going to do that to Satan at the end of the book of Revelation. We don't bind the devil. It's not said here anywhere, or even rebuking the devil. I can say things to him, no doubt. But what I do here, what, notice what it tells me to do here. Ephesians 6.10, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He has the power so you can stand firm. See, it's his strength that you're dependent on. Strong in the Lord, strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm, that you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Because the battle in conflicts is not always with the person. It's what's behind that person. It's the, what's working behind that person. Demons want me to respond in anger to situations. They want me to lose it. They want me to just um, get angry because they know that that gives Satan an opportunity. It's not so much the individual that I might be having a conflict with or whatever. It's, it's, it's how, I get respond, how I respond that Satan wants me to do. And so recognizing that my battle is not with flesh and blood. My battle is with spiritual forces of darkness. Then he says in verse 13, therefore take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. See, every day you're going to be confronted, right? We're going to be confronted every day because we live in a culture with all kinds of immorality. We have to be thinking right when those things come our way. Verse 14 says, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. I need a mind that's saturated with truth. I need a, a, a of scripture. I need an alert mind. I need a breastplate of righteousness. So that talks about our holiness, putting on holiness. Verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, knowing and having confidence that Christ has paid for all my sin. I'm at peace with God because the war is over between me and God because of the gospel. 
Verse 16, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, responding with his attacks and with faith. When doubts come at me, I says, faith, God, I trust you, I believe you. No to what uh, the world is saying, no to what the enemy is saying to me, but I believe you. And take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of truth. Protect our minds because we're in a truth war. That's the point. We're in a truth war. Always think about it that way. We're in a truth war, and our only weapon is the word of God, the sword of the spirit. And prayer. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. With this in view, be on the alert. With all perseverance. So how do I be alert? I'm alert by being, having a mind that's saturated with the truth so that I recognize error when it comes. When I recognize lies when they come. I recognize his schemes when they come. Turn to 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. Quickly, just saying once again, the idea of truth. Verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. I, I live in the flesh, I walk in the flesh, all those things, but I don't war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. There's no way my flesh can bind Satan. There's no way my flesh can do anything to Satan. There's no way my flesh can fight Satan. It's only, it's only the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful. And we use those weapons, as we just saw in Ephesians 6, to destroy speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Just keep doing the things you do, Bible study and prayer and fellowship with other believers and worship. Participate in those disciplines that you might be able to stand firm against the adversary. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, back in verse 8. We are to be aware of this. Notice in verse 8, this will be our second point, to be aware that your adversary, the devil, prowls about around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He says this in the present tense. This is what he's doing right now. He's prowling about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. A lion, a hungry lion, interested in capturing prey. When he says prowls around, it's like that's what he's using his energy for is to find a victim. And he has lots of schemes. He has false religion. He has false ideologies. Uh, He wants to keep unbelievers blinded. Keep in mind, he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything and he doesn't know what you're thinking. He just observes you. He can observe you and know what bait to put in front of you, basically, to entice you. He can't read your mind. He's not God. He's not omniscient. He, he wants to make you deny Christ's lordship. I think this is an important point. He, he wants to make you deny Christ's lordship, and he wants you to fall under the lordship of Satan. That's what he wants you to do. It, it really gets, this is pretty basic. What he, wa- what he wants you to do is you find in James 4, 7. Turn there. James, well, let's just listen. James 4, 7. Submit, therefore, to God. James 4, 7. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What he wants you to do is not submit to God. 
Listen, you cannot, you cannot resist the devil if you do not submit to God. If you are not under the lordship of Christ, there's no way you can resist the devil. There's, you can be in the midst of a trial or a temptation, and if you're not submitted to God, you will not be able to stand firm in that trial or temptation. This, is, this gets really basic, but you just think about it. He, 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 wants, he wants you to, he wants you and I to, think that um, we can just simply uh, be close to sin and not fall into it. He wants you to think that you can avoid um, falling into sexual immorality, but it's okay to live with your girlfriend or your fiance. In other words, to think that you will have victory over it but yet you're not willing to submit to God in the behaviors that put you in a position to fall into those things. You can't, you can't stay away from drunkenness if you're going to hang out in a bar all the time. That's what I'm trying to say is like we submit to God. It starts with that. Satan wants to hit you at that point where you're not willing to submit to God and his Lord, the Lordship of Christ because then you'll fall into all kinds of things. And he wants you to, he wants you to think that somehow he's got a better idea and submit to his Lordship. That's one thing Satan wants to do, keep you from submitting to God. Second thing he wants to do, I think, is he wants to divide the body of Christ. He wants to divide uh, animosity between us and the church. He wants to disrupt the unity of the church. And he uses all kinds of ways to do that. Legalism, um, pride, selfishness, all those kinds of things to somehow cause us to have disagreements, not, not looking out for the conscience of the other believers, just self-seeking, selfish ambition, the things that divide us. Those are the schemes of the devil. Get you to somehow not submit to God. And secondly, divide the church. Because he wants to devour the word devour is an interesting word. It's the same word used in the Hebrew of Jonah being swallowed whole by the fish. It's the same idea. He wants to devour you. He wants to drink down. Turn to Matthew 4 just quickly and I'll... In Matthew chapter 4, you see how Jesus dealt with the devil in the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 4... He was tempted. Jesus was tempted. In fact, he was tempted in all ways in which we are. In Matthew chapter 4, you see verse 3, the tempter came to him, came to Jesus. Verse 2, we're told that Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and he became hungry. And then the first question he's told, or temptation is in verse 3, if you are the son of God, command these stones become bread. He's tempted here to violate the father's plan. Notice how he resists. He resists with the scripture. He responds with the word of God. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He uses the truth of scripture. 
Look at the second temptation in verse 5. When the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. See, the devil's using Scripture. Even the devil uses Scripture. Sometimes we use Scripture to justify the way we're living our life and twist it. That's what he's doing. The devil's twisting the Scripture. Jesus straightens him out and says, you do not put the Lord God to the test. Look in verse 7. Jesus said, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put your Lord God to the test. You don't presume upon the Father. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Um, one day he's going to get all those kingdoms. Basically, this is a temptation to short-circuit the plan of God. Let's do another way than the cross. Let's take it now. Bow down and worship me. You can have it all right now. In verse 10, Jesus says, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So that's how Jesus resisted temptation was with the word. He was submitted to the Father. See, he was submitted to the Father and he obeyed the Father and used the word of God. It begins with a submission, James says, submit to the Lord so that you can resist. Go to, back to 1 Peter chapter 5 and look in verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 9. He says, but resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Strong incentive to stand firm, just knowing there are other believers who are going through the same experiences you and I are going through. There's no temptation but such as is common to man. Everybody goes through these things. The one thing Satan wants to do is make you think you're the only person going through this. But no, he's, he's saying, no, we all go through these same experiences. There's a sense of similarity with other believers around the world. I know how to pray for every single Christian because I just think about what I go through. I know how to pray for you. You know how to pray for me. We all go through the same temptation. We face temptation and trials. I know how to pray for Christians in other parts of the world, in Ukraine and Russia and other believers all over the world because of temptations they face are similar. And that's encouraging. That's encouraging to think about sometimes when you're going through something, just saying, man, I know there are other believers. I'm just going to pray for them right now. I'm going to stop and just pray for them. And then finally, look in verse 10. He says this, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And that's important to know right off the bat. Just important to know that God uses conflicts that we go through with the devil to grow us up. That's what he's saying there. God could have thrown Satan out. He could have banished Satan, but he didn't. He gives him temporary reign uh, to increase our eternal glory. That's what that verse is saying. He does things for our progressive sanctification. I like that. I like the way that's worded. He perfects, 
make us complete, confirm, to set, set you fast or to affirm to you that you belong to him. Give us power, strengthen, establish us, helps our roots go deeper. God, when you think about it that way, it's, yeah, that's something I got to get in my head. I just got to understand that, that I go through the trials and difficulties I, I go through and I go through the attacks from the enemy and the things I go through are simply God allowed events to grow me up, to mature me, to strengthen and confirm, perfect, confirm, strengthen and establish me to stretch my faith, to cause it to grow, to test it, to prove it, just like Job, his, test was, his faith was proven. God gets glory in that, and I benefit, and you benefit in that. So he can accuse us all he likes, but understand this, he can't take away or separate us from the love of Christ. When at the end of the book, or in chapter um, 8 in Romans, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He gives a long list of things and included in that are these spiritual powers and even Satan himself cannot separate us from the love of Christ. This is a wonderful truth. I like the song we sing sometimes. It's called Before the Throne of God Above. Listen to these three and four. When Satan tempts me to despair and tests me and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's the great truth we have because of Christ and what he did. The, Satan's head has been crushed. He's a defeated foe. I need to think rightly about him. I need to be alert. I need to be aware. And I need to anticipate the reality of one day I'll be in eternity. Listen, I don't know where you stand this morning. I don't know if you are a Christian. I don't know if you came here this morning. I don't know who you serve. I don't know if you are uh, one who is, uh, 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 if you're serving Christ or serving Satan. You only have a choice, one or the other. Um, he is the God of this world. He's the one that blinds you to truth if you're an unbeliever. And our invitation to you this morning is that you would turn to Christ, that you would turn to him and turn from your sin and turn and embrace Christ and experience the forgiveness that comes from a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's our invitation to you. I would pray that you would do that. I pray you would cry out to God, even in this service this morning. Turn from your sin and embrace him. Don't serve Satan, serve Christ. That's the opportunity that he puts before us in the gospel. Father, thank you for your, this time this morning. Thank you for your truth. May we have hearts that are submitted to you in this church. May we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God as we have seen in this section and be those who are in submission to Christ. Father, we can never win a battle with the devil. We can never, um, we can never resist the devil if we're not submitted to you. Every day, Father, we would need to get up out of our bed and put our, our lives on the altar in submission to you that we might walk through that day and face all the arrows of the enemy and have victory because we're under your lordship. We praise you and thank you for this truth that we have seen this morning. We thank you, God, that even though we 
will experience these things through life and these are things that are going on right now that we've been warned about them. We've been given the resources to stand firm and resist. I pray, Father, that we will be those who are alert and watchful. We love you and thank you for this time this morning in Jesus' name, amen.